Super Talk Mississippi media production. If you're feeling anxious about your investments with all the economic volatility and chaos in Washington, tune in to Super Talk Jackson on Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. and Sundays from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. for Element Wealth Radio with Jeremy Nelson. Learn more at myelementwealth.com. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along today with Will East in the Element Well Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music as Rhino would say on this Friday Eve and a gorgeous uh, day it is out there. Will, good to see you man. It is very nice outside. Very springy. Now yeah. I'm getting a, a, a hankering for spring. After and work in the yard a little bit, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, we've got uh, Secretary of State Michael Watson at 1020 in the Element Well studio. We'll get an update from his office and also talk about the successful Secretary of State Student Ambassador Program. And then at 1105, it's Mississippi State uh, Senator Joey Fillingain. He serves as the chairman of Judd B. I just ran into him in the Capitol couple of days ago. We'll get his uh, update from the legislature. As you know, the deadline is looming for those bills to be dropped, and we'll we'll, uh, get him to share his priorities for the legislative session. So, a lot of stuff going on down there. It seems like it's been a little quiet, honestly, this legislative session. Does it not? It has. You know, you're coming off an election year, and usually that's when you get a lot of stuff, yeah. right? Because everybody's been elected. They, they're not afraid to take a few chances here and there. Yep. But it just hasn't been a whole lot of – but outside of these economic development things, yeah. um, legislatively, whatever word I'm looking for there – just hasn't been a whole lot of bombshells. Well, nothing controversial. I mean, the, the economic development projects for which the governor called, of course, a special session for the legislature to approve the incentive package for those projects. I mean, that went through. As the governor said after the first one, uh, I attended that press conference, and he kind of joked a little bit. He said, you know, anybody that's worked in this building for a while knows how hard it is to get a consensus but uh, that was the case, and, and uh, they handled it in a quick fashion. Did the legislature approving those packages after a presentation from MDA uh, Director Bill Cork? He did a great job putting the package together. I saw the presentations there. So other than that, though, we haven't really had any major controversial uh, legislative measures at this point. We've had some stuff that's passed in the House primarily that has been transmitted to the Senate mobile sports betting ballot initiative come to mind. Then we got this prior authorization um, bill that came out of the Senate, sponsored by my senator. 
actually used to be my senator, uh, Walter Michelle. Now it's Senator John Horn represents my district. But other than that, hadn't heard a lot of stuff. On the national scene, the big news yesterday, tragedy in Kansas City as a beloved radio disc jockey and honestly a diehard Kansas City Chiefs fan was killed. This was during the NFL team's victory celebration. 22 others injured. This is so terrible. I mean, it, it honestly, it hurts. It, you got just good-hearted American football fans out celebrating their team's victory. And some fool has to come along with a gun and start playing stupid shoot 'em up Yeah. And this uh, radio DJ who tragically lost her life, mom of two, Lisa Lopez Galvin, very popular, I, I'm, uh, is my understanding, Will, very popular mm-hmm. uh, radio figure there in the Kansas City area. I mean, can we just not have fun in this country anymore without somebody screwing it up? I'm in a Super Bowl parade in a city where, you know, it's not New York, it's not L.A., it's Kansas City. Right. You know, it's kind of a mid-market, mid-sized market, I guess you would say, as far as the NFL is concerned, probably a smaller size market. Yep. And it was beautiful weather. A lot of folks out in short sleeves. I mean, it's a day much like we're experiencing yeah. here today in central Mississippi. Passionate fan base. and then All you get dressed this. up. Oh, gosh. So I'm not sure if you got it, but I sent you some uh, some video yeah. that was captured from one of the bystanders who saw what was going on and immediately ran towards the fire. Bothering, saying, you know, stop him or catch him, you know, tackle him, whatever. And he's just just bailing running. And out of nowhere, I heard that guy hollering, so I'm just like, okay, well, I'm right here. And I just, I didn't think about it. It was just a reaction. I didn't hesitate. It was just, just do it. So I went to go tackle him, and another gentleman did the same thing. And as I'm tackling him, I see his weapon either fall out of his hand or out of his sleeve because he was wearing a long jacket or like a Carhartt. So when I seen that hit the ground, I'm like, oh. You know, we got to take this guy down. And so, like I said, I did, and another good Samaritan did, and we held him down. And it seemed like forever, but it probably wasn't. It was like 30 seconds holding him down, and me and the other gentleman are hollering at ongoers, you know, where's the cops? You know, get the cops over here. Get the cops over here. You know, we got him. This guy's a hero, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, he's just... Just a random, regular Kansas City Chiefs fan. You see him in that video all decked out in his Kansas City Chiefs garb. Looks like he's got a significant other next to him. I mean, it's just, look, I saw it. I knew it was danger. I knew this person was out to hurt people. And I ran to it. And so did a number of others when you see in that video. It's incredible. These are heroes. And I hate to bring politics into this, but um, Kansas this is... Two years ago, Kansas City's mayor sued to block a Missouri law requiring higher police spending. That's right. Yep. Back, uh, all this defund the police crap and, and stuff. And yesterday, uh, Will, I went off on a rant in the first segment about uh, shooting that had occurred in the morning before the show. 
uh, an assailant was shooting at police officers in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, in the shadow of the nation's um, capital building. And that's just disturbing. I mean, it's disturbing when it happens anywhere. And I don't know why, when I think about the center of power of democracy, that being Washington, D.C., at least it's supposed to be, and you have this sort of stuff going on right out there in the shadows. By the way, I did learn this morning three police officers were injured, treated, released. They're fine. And I believe they have the shooter in custody. And this was also around a school in the D.C. area to barricade the roads and and stop the traffic coming in, in and out, which is just in accordance with standard operating procedure when you've got active shooting going on. It's just sad, man. It, it just is. It's got to stop. And this is all because, in my view, the Democrats have, have to some extent, they have legitimized crime. Yeah. They've rationalized it. They've, they condone it. They've excused it. They're, they're more concerned about using the wrong pronouns and prosecuting people for that than they are people that are shooting other people with a gun or taking their stuff. I mean, it's catch and release in some of these cities. Yeah, that's exactly right. They're just out with with impunity, with no punishment. And as long as that is the case, they're going to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. I saw the chief of police of Washington, D.C. this morning in an interview, and he was talking about that. He said, look, until we get support, he said they're – uh, 450 officers down in terms of the number they believe to properly staff the, the Washington, D.C. Police Department. And this is true across the country. It, we're having a hard time recruiting folks into law enforcement because they get no respect. They get no support, backing uh, from these left-wing governments. You may have seen also that uh, in Chicago... Have you seen this, Will, that, um, which is, of course, rife with, with crime? Um, and I think, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, the murder capital of the country. The Chicago's mayor, a left-wing nut, he plans to end a uh, crime prevention program that they've had in place. It's technology that detects shooting. That's going to end. It's called Shot Spotter. That's the, that's the company that makes this technology. And it's been very useful, very effective, very successful in fighting crime. And it's still out of control. You can only imagine what it will be like when these tools are no longer available. So it's just a network of acoustic sensors that detects gunshots, and it immediately routes police to the scene. That's genius. It's incredible. Right. So I've always said the only way, in in my view, to really uh, properly address the crime issue in, in this uh, in this country is with novel technology, which is the way we solve almost every human problem. But so he says after the Democratic National Convention this summer, he's going to end it. And it's because he feels like it's unfair to the marginalized population. It really doesn't matter, Mayor. If they're committing a crime, it doesn't matter. Their race is irrelevant. The fact is they broke the law. We've got to get rid of this equity crap. It's literally killing us. Rant over for today. We're coming right back with the Secretary of State of the great state of Mississippi, Michael Watson. Stay with us. Patriots. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. 
Welcome back, everyone. A little Jimmy Buffett bumping us into this segment here on uh, Middays. Once again, we're in the Element Well studio. We're pleased to welcome in the studio the Mississippi Secretary of State, Michael Watson. Mr. Secretary, always good to see you, sir. Great to be here, and obviously fitting that uh, our friend Jimmy Buffett let us in there, another Pascagoula guy. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, great Mississippian, of he course. Is. He yeah. was. All right, so you guys got a lot of stuff going down uh, down there at the Secretary of State. Uh, uh, one of the things I want to ask you about is the Student Ambassador Program. I was honored to uh, address that, that group uh, this past Tuesday. Uh, via Zoom, we had a number of students, high school students from across the state. And the first thing I want to let you know is I was so impressed with the questions, so impressed with the questions. And my daughter said, you're going to be impressed with the questions, Dad, and she wasn't, she wasn't kidding about that. And every single one of them, I said, that's a great question. And um, I hope it's beneficial, but I will, I will say this, uh, the future's bright. Uh, once you meet those folks. It is. It's one of the best things we've done. And uh, it came about basically a couple of years ago. We sat down with the girl state, uh, the elected officials from girl state. Uh, so all eight of them were in town. And for some reason, I was the only statewide official in town that day. So they all came to my office. And we started talking about the future of Mississippi and how we get young people engaged in voting. And uh, it kind of hit the idea of, well, why don't you do voter registration jobs in your schools? And then after that, uh, Liz and, and Wade and several others in our office kind of got the idea of, why don't we grow this thing and turn it into a program? So that's how the ambassadors got started. Uh, last year we had 56 high school seniors. This year, 67. And as you said, these are the best and brightest They're that awesome. we have to offer. And <laughs> it's a big challenge for us. You know, how, how do we get them engaged to let them know that we care? Uh, and we do basically three things with the program. Number one, we teach them about elections. Yep. Uh, they all do voter registration drives in their high schools. Uh, number two, we teach them about state government. Uh, how does government work? You know, if I want to advocate for something, where do I even start? And how do I do that? And then lastly, just a mentorship program, really letting them know that, that we care, that I care. Uh, we want them to come back to Mississippi to start businesses, which is one of the reasons we invite people like you in yeah. who have said, look, um, you know what? I left Mississippi, but I came back and I started something here and grew it. You don't have to go away. You can stay right here in Mississippi to live your dreams. And so it's been great. Uh, one of a, one of our really fun programs for us. Yeah, it was awesome. And, and, uh, I, I ran into a, a parent of one of the students yesterday yeah. and said something to me about it and said that, uh, after, <laughs> after the presentation, their goal is to now be a billionaire. <laughs> And I said, I'm down. Get it. What, yeah. what can we do to help you Go with that? But let's right. do it right here in Mississippi. Yeah, so. and you, you speak of the parents. Uh, last year I was at, I think I was at a football game at Ole Miss, and uh, one of the parents came up to me from one of the students and said, let me tell you something. The connections that my child made in that program, now there's some of her closest friends, and they, they visit each week, and uh, we, we have ones that turn out dating or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's just fun to watch them build those relationships because these are the folks that are going to be leading the state. And to, to get them really engaged at this point in life uh, just is impressive to me. Uh, and as you said, the questions that come from those things are fantastic, uh, those meetings. And uh, so we do that monthly, and uh, we've had, you know, Senator Wicker, uh, Senator Hyde-Smith, uh, We've had Ronnie uh, Hall from the house, uh, Keith Carter from Ole Miss, Coach Joe from yeah, Ole Miss. All great so we bring in a bunch of different folks to let them have really a, that broad experience of, you know what, maybe I'll be an AD one day. Maybe I'll start a business one day and be a billionaire. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll do this. But you know what? I can do it right here in yeah. Mississippi. That's and I tell message. all of them, you know, if you go off to school, that's fine. But let me tell you something. When you get ready to start a career and you say, you know what, that's not in Mississippi, I challenge every single one of them, call me. And I will make sure if that opportunity exists in Mississippi, I'm going to let you know about it so we can bring you home. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, if there's anything I can ever do to contribute to that, uh, I'm all about it as well. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's, uh, it's growing. Uh, as mentioned last year, fifty six or uh, fifty seven this year. No, fifty six last year, fifty uh, sixty seven this year. Yeah. So we're going to keep expanding that. Uh, and this year we started something new as well. Uh, usually we do two in person in Jackson, one in the fall, one in the spring, so they can see the legislature in yeah. action. And this year we added two more: one in North Mississippi, one on the coast, so they can see different parts of the state as we grow and uh, as they grow up and start to challenge themselves and where they want to be in Mississippi in the future. So. And and the, the most perhaps the most valuable takeaway is just being engaged. Just got to be engaged, man. That's exactly right. And and for them to take a little time out of their day and to do something different than what they normally do at that age. And, and uh, you know, the, these kind of issues are more adult issues that they're not going to have to grapple with for right. a while. But right. the fact that they are tells me they're thinking about it. They're already starting to plan for their future and envision. But when one of them says, yeah, I want to be a billionaire now, it's like, man, that's awesome. That's what I want to <laughs> hear. <go>. So. <laughs> yeah, really. All right, what else is going on Secretary of State's office? Yeah, so we're working on a few things this year. Uh, campaign finance reform, obviously, as I mentioned, gosh, a year and a half ago now. Uh, back at the fair, uh, something that's been important to us to really start building on. Uh, met with uh, Senate leadership yesterday, Chairman of Elections, uh, Jeremy England, and walked through the bill. Uh, so we've got a meeting with the Lieutenant Governor this afternoon. I've met with the Speaker already. Uh, so those are some really important pieces for all of Mississippi, just the transparency and the accountability and, and campaign finance reform. And glad to hear others that are joining in now on that effort. So it's uh, it's great to have a bunch of folks pushing in the same direction. Uh, we've got a little bit of an issue on the coast with Tideland, so we're working through that. Uh, got a lot of uh, really smart folks working together, and I think that's the key for us. When we include uh, really smart folks to get a great result for the state, that's how you lead and that's how you make a difference. So uh, I'm glad to have so many people that are willing to help us make the right decisions uh, to move the state forward. I ran into Senator England in the Capitol earlier this week, and he he shared with me that he was working on a bill. So this is the one you're talking about, I assume, right? It is. With respect to some elections reform. Yeah, we, we've got several pieces over there, but this is kind of the headliner uh, and one of the big pieces that we're hoping to do, and this is something that's going to impact the entire state, is basically have a one-stop shop, basically, for campaign finance. So if okay. you're at the local level, doesn't matter. If you're a county official, city official, state official, it's all going to be filed on this one system uh, to really bring, the again, the transparency and accountability. Because now somebody may call and say, you know, I'm looking for this uh, this city official's campaign finance report. Well, the city should be sending it up, but sometimes we don't get those, and they're yeah. really hard to track down. So yeah. it will be a good system for all of us. Well, uh, the reality is you don't have the resources to go chasing people down and get the reports in, and I don't want to pay for you to have more resources <laughs> to do that, if that makes any sense. <laughs> That's so exactly right. Just do what you're supposed to do, yeah. man. It's yeah. the law. Yep. So just just comply. And certainly as an elected official or a candidate, you understand that. That's And if you're, you you're in violation of that, honestly, that calls into question you as a candidate uh, or of serving in public office. It does. Yeah. It does. <laughs> um, all right, so any other measures? that you're pushing uh, at our legislature at yeah, we, this point? We've got a few conversations going about, uh, as you well know, our, our attack on the regulatory um, issues here in Mississippi, yeah. making sure that it's easy to do business. So we've got a couple of pieces out there dealing with that uh, and a few other kind of small cleanup pieces with elections themselves. Uh, and that's one of the things that we've tried to do. Uh, you know, you've heard me talk about our 29 by 29, where we are looking through all the boards and commissions, all the regulations to make sure they're, they're good or they're bad. And if they're bad, then let's get rid of them. Yeah. But I don't want to be... Uh, you know, let's go look at you, but not look at us. So I've challenged our team. Let's go with every regulation that we have, every you know rule that we have. Let's go through it to make sure, number one, we have the authority to even do it. 
And number two, is it good? And yeah. if it's not good, let's get rid of it. So yeah. we've got a couple of cleanup issues with our with our own house as well. Well, I think you would agree with me that regulations should only be put in place if there's some benefit to society. Public health, public yeah. safety, the, right. the things that really matter. Yeah. Outside of that, let's, uh, let's get rid of them. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I believe fully that these are two big economic development projects that uh, Mississippi has been uh, blessed with here, announced announced uh, earlier in the session, I think to a great extent was a function of a, of a more business-friendly regulatory environment. And, and a lot of that's just our ability to respond to them even the, during the development process. That's so there's exactly an right. aspect of that that goes on behind the scenes before the public even knows about this. It, it, it's important to note, and, and you know this because you were involved in that project, but I was at uh, the Crater Jackson Chamber uh, a couple of weeks ago, and one of the guys from Amazon was there, and he said, look, um, you know, the key here was Mississippi was willing to help. And they kept right. the notes to the grindstone, didn't talk about it, just did the work. And that goes uh, to show so much credit for our local level economic development officials. Yeah, absolutely. To do that hard work. And people don't hear about it. They don't know about it, but they're doing it. And I think that's an important piece to remember. And when you see big projects like this, coupled with the attack on – not the attack, but the diminishing of the regulatory uh, yeah. you know, uh, structure here in Mississippi, as well as the legislature's focus on, on the tax issues, cutting taxes – Mississippi is just primed uh, for so much more good growth moving forward. Completely agree. And so I think uh, the nation and the world are taking note here of these investments and what are they doing there in Mississippi. Because so, you know what happens in the other states is when these things are in development and, and the prospect of business has questions, has issues that need to get resolved, it's we'll get back to you on that. And it's not because right. they don't want to help us, because they got to go talk to the sprawling bureaucracy and wait <laughs> weeks to get a dang answer on something you ought to be able to answer today. That's it. And then that was a big differentiator. Uh, I know that for a fact, and I, I'm pretty sure your Amazon contact, I know him as well. I think he probably <laughs> represented that as well. He did. Yeah. He did. So uh, and the fun piece was, I know we're going through a break here, but the yeah. fun piece was, he said, man, a lot of people called and asked, why Mississippi? Yeah. And he said, we just couldn't say no. Exactly. They did everything right. Earned it. And, and earned it. Yeah. So that was great. Well, stay with us so we can talk some more. Sure. All right. We got Secretary of State Michael Watson in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. I can see that stadium now there, Will. That video's got, like, what, 4 million people in the stadium or something like that. 
Yeah, just going crazy. <laughs> We're back in the Element Well studio. We're chatting with Mississippi Secretary of State uh, Michael Watson. So, uh, something that uh, is, is on your radar right now, of course, Mr. Secretary, is we got uh, primaries coming up less than a month now. So we moved them up, right, uh, from the last cycle. Well, the the presidential primary, the, we've removed the qualification deadline, but we did not move the day of the presidential primary. It's always been that March early date. So, uh, what about Senate and uh, and House? That one uh, it alters. Sometimes they're in June, sometimes they're in March. Okay, so well a, that's what I missed. Yeah, but this year's bit, March. This year's March. Yeah, so, so we're a inside bit. a month. That's right. Uh, uh, from that going coming on. Coming up, and we've been meeting with our clerks and commissioners already. And, you know, again, the thing that we always talk about and people don't really realize how much work goes on behind the scenes with elections. And uh, when we did our 82-county tour, meeting with all of our circuit clerks, uh, all 410 election commissioners, that is just invaluable to have those relationships when you have a team like this. Sure. Uh, you know, Mississippi's bottom-up, which means the, the local level really does the hard work. So when you can build those relationships and you see issues that are happening in different parts of the state and you all can talk about it and, and get a, a plan together mm-hmm. – uh, it is really uh, beneficial for the, all of Mississippi. And so we're, we're really excited about those relationships and continue to talk to them. We've got 22 new circuit clerks this year, so I'll be going back to those counties okay. to visit with them okay. uh, to make sure they understand how important they are to the team. Uh, and it just it just matters. You know this for business. When you yeah. go to somebody else's turf and you sit on their turf and say, hey, how can I better serve yeah. you? Yeah. It just matters. Yeah. So, so is there some sort of formal training for the circuit clerks with respect to administration of elections? They go through training uh, with our office, uh, the commissioners as well, and then there's a yearly or annual meetings that they have. So we'll go in and do trainings there okay. as well. Yeah. Uh, but but more important than that, you know, we we have uh, really amped up our training. Uh, we've, we're going out to the different districts now to, to help them with more hands-on training. Uh, when you're dealing with SIMS or when you deal with other pieces of the election process, uh, it's important to really sit down with them. You have questions? Let's walk through it. Okay. Let's talk about that. So it's really important for us to be in front of them. Uh, any questions they have, and again, uh, Kyle Kirkpatrick and his team do a phenomenal job in elections. And, uh, you know, no matter where I go, if I'm talking to circuit clerks, Kyle always comes up and they always talk about how professional and smart he is. So mm-hmm. I give a lot of credit to Kyle. He does a great job for us. Yeah. Well, uh, something that I think we touch on every time you're on the program is cleaning up these dang voter rolls. <laughs> they still ain't clean, are they? <laughs> no, no, but it's gotten better, as as you know. Uh, you know, again, those relationships is, is really where you have those hard conversations. And there were some that we had that weren't so friendly. Um, you know, because when you tell folks, hey, look, uh, do your job, sometimes they don't really appreciate that conversation. Uh, but it's one that has to be had. Yeah. And uh, Mississippians deserve clean voter rolls. That is the uh, foundation of of good clean elections having good clean voter rolls because when the folks who are uh, should be voting are the only ones that are on that list then and that's how you get the clean elections but when it's bloated that's when you see some of the uh, sneaky things happening with elections and unfortunately uh, too many of our rolls have too many people on them well and in addition you know something i i talk about a lot on the show is just my concern about um the uh, the protection, the cyber protections of all these systems out in the counties. That's right. That I, I've always felt like if if the bad guys really want to disrupt uh, democracy in this country, that's where they'll do it. It's not as a lot of people believe that they're going to go in and and start manipulating votes on electronic voting machines. To me, the bigger the bigger risk is they shut down these county systems such that we can't even have elections. <laughs> It's, it's in Hines County, right? Cybersecurity is uh, it, it's it's one of those things that continues to get worse, or, or maybe not worse, but uh, 
we pay more attention to it. It's yeah. a growing concern, uh, and we we actually are talking now about doing some regional events with our circuit clerks okay. to bring in experts. Hey, listen, uh, you know if your county doesn't have a dedicated individual that's working on this, uh, making sure that you're you're safe, we need to change that. So yeah. different little things like that, even going to .gov uh, domain, uh, the little things that sometimes are overlooked. Uh, those are the things that we're trying to focus on and really work with them to to get that done. Well, I. I I point out Hines County because they they were the victim of a malicious cyber attack yeah. and and honestly had we had elections scheduled during that that five or six weeks they were down we couldn't have had them in Hines County and the things you don't think about are the simple things again elections uh, even getting a tag renewed uh, the things like yeah. that when your system's down it just impacts everybody right so cybersecurity is so important that, that people need to really get that more on the front of their minds uh, how are we attacking this from the state level yeah so uh, it's it's an important one that we'll continue to talk about for sure and we have the Mississippi Cyber Security Unit part of the Department of Homeland Security that uh, Bobby Freeman that uh, runs that outfit is available as a resource to them as well. And that was the purpose. That's right. And that's the other thing that's important. We we talk to uh, FBI, uh, you know, we talk to CISA, we talk to National Guard, we talk to all of our partners to make sure that we're doing the right things with cybersecurity. Uh, That's their job, uh, Homeland Security, you name it. So we do our pen testing. We do all kinds of things to make sure that our system is safe heading into elections. So that's that's always good to remind Mississippians about that, that we are focused on the issue and their, their data and their vote is safe here in Mississippi. Yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, all right, so are, are you paying attention to any other legislation that's uh, moving its way through the legislature at this point? You know, again, as a former legislator, uh, my heart still a little piece of that is <laughs> across the street. Sure. So uh, I do. I love the policy piece. Uh, I'm, my wife calls me a policy wonk, so it's, it's hard for me to let go of that. Uh, and absolutely, you know, you watch about the health care debate, uh, taxes, yeah. the continued conversations about tax cuts or, or not, uh, school choice, obviously yep. something near and dear to my heart. Uh, you know, parents should have those, those abilities to, to choose where their child's going to be educated. Yep. Uh, the big issues that are facing our state, uh, you know, we'll always be watching those and, and helping where I can push certain issues. Yeah. So it's important to us. I know it's a bit out of your purview, but, uh, you know, my favorite one is, is PERS, of course, and uh, we've had lots of conversations about that. Um, and, and also uh, transportation, transportation infrastructure. I attended an event in Madison County. We had uh, Executive Director Brad White of DOTD made a presentation, also Central District Commissioner Willie Simmons, and and they were kind of laying out uh, the um, the financial model, which is kind of a hard one to get your head around. The way DOTD operates, right. totally different than all the other agencies it and its source of revenue and so forth. Uh, but it, I think they're appealing to the legislature, perhaps to. Uh, provide some additional funding to come from the general fund or general fund revenue sources, which are mainly sales taxes and income taxes, to supplement what they get from the Fed and what they get from the excise tax on fuel because they just maintain that uh, more funds are needed to meet the needs of the citizens. And we're growing as well. We are. And I talked to Director White uh, probably sometime last year and said, you know, one of the things that I would hope you would focus on is just the idea that there are core functions of government. Transportation is one of them. Agree. How about we make that a priority with our funding? Maybe we shouldn't be funding this over here or that over here. Uh, you know, let's do what government's supposed to be doing, and, and that's it. So yeah. I think they're looking at different ways to make sure that story is front and center. This is a core function of government. Yeah. If we can't fund transportation, we got problems. Yeah, so, there's uh, no doubt about it. Well, uh, I know you speak quite a bit to your your peers. 
uh, Secretary of State. What, what are you hearing from around the country these days? So this, uh, we're all <laughs> we're all getting ready year. for a fun year. <laughs> uh, I was just with many of them in D.C. last week and uh, had a great conversation with all of them. And uh, I would encourage people to remember this. And, and this somebody you know was uh, one of the secretaries. We were talking about the different decisions that were made in Colorado and in Maine, uh, which were bad decisions, uh, but within the right, like Maine Secretary of State. That that the way their law is set up, that was her decision to make unilaterally. Now I disagree with what she made, but again, that's how their law works yeah. over there in Maine, and it's yeah. okay. But I reminded them, and I hope all Mississippians will, will kind of hear this as we get into this election. Uh, there's no doubt it's going to be a bumpy ride. Uh, folks are going to get mad at each other, but at the end of the day, let's all remember that we're, we're human beings, uh, you know, made in God's own image, and uh, we can get mad at each other. That's okay, and we can we can argue. That's okay, but let's respect each other as we do so. Uh, and I think the toxicity of politics in this country is is awful at this time and we forget that from time to time we forget that that's actually a human being on the other side yeah Uh, you know so let's let's think through that and and i'm not listen uh i'm not saying you can't be uh, i can't have disagreements yeah let's just not be disagreeable with that and try to treat each other as human beings uh it's going to be a tough year so uh, well to your point to a great extent in our society we see that just basic Civil discourse has been replaced with activist hysterics. That's right, and that doesn't doesn't really. It probably causes the person with whom you disagree to dig in even more, even more, even yeah, and more. you're not. So you're not really accomplishing anything. You're just you're just yelling at each other, I guess, or however it it uh, manifests itself. So, yeah, it would be great if we could return to just the uh, the concept of uh, little statesman like. Uh, communication and, and relationship, I think we could get a lot more done. Doesn't mean you have to compromise your principles. Not saying That's that exactly whatsoever. Right. Yeah. And really quickly, I know again we got to go yeah. here, but uh, we met last week in D.C. and uh, I was talking to the main Secretary of State, Shannon Bellows, and again, completely disagree with what she did. Uh, but as I was leaving that meeting, I just hugged her just to say, hey, good to see you and yeah. whatever, and just was reminded of that. Hey, you know what? She's a human being as well. Good for you. I disagree with her. Yeah, sure. But we can be friends, uh, and we'll fight on those issues all day long. Absolutely. But again, let's try to keep that in mind. Good words. Appreciate you coming in, Mr. Secretary. Always good to see you, sir. Pleasure. We'll see you again. We're coming right back, folks. In the Element Well studio, we got Senator Joey filling gain at 11.05. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Wealth Studio. We thank you for joining us today. And today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear another interview with former pro wrestlers Ray Lloyd and Luther Biggs as they talk about their time in the ring, including their days during WCW's heyday. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant. Go to superiorcatfish.com 
For more info, the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. The dial all over the place. Again, the whole kangaroo's hopping around. It is up today. Uh, 185 points. It has been negative at one point as well during the day. The NASDAQ, uh, last I checked, was just barely in the green. Let's see where it is now. It's actually down now, 43 points. I heard this morning, uh, Will, one of the companies that I track uh, and have been uh, for quite some time, it's called Palo Alto, Palo Alto Networks. They're, They're a cybersecurity uh, software uh, provider, and um, they they sell their products through folks like my company was. We were one of the first Palo Alto partners in the country. That goes back 15 or so years ago. And uh, the stock now, I think, is presently trading. Let me get uh, the the right information now. I think it's around 600 bucks or so a share. It, it continues to post impressive uh, no, pardon me. It is 364. 364. I was thinking about uh, another issue. 364. But I heard a target on it from one of the economists this morning at uh, at uh, six hundred dollars a share in eighteen months. Eighteen months. 364. And and the rationale from this analyst was that every single quarter. Uh, they post an increase in revenue, an increase, double-digit increase in net profit. So basically, he's extrapolating out what that's going to look like using a P/E ratio and so forth, based on that continued trend of growth, and saying this thing's going to uh, at least 500. It could hit 600 bucks a share. 518 months, 600 bucks a share in, in two years. So, but it's pricey because it's trading. Uh, presently at uh, 384. So lots of anticipated growth in big tech. The Magnificent Seven still driving the market with many of those companies announcing earnings a couple of weeks ago, double-digit growth. So that's kind of where the market is. However, I also saw a report on the on the downside that mortgage applications are down rather precipitously because mortgage rates. And I think the 30 years north of 7% again. You've seen the 10-year trending upward, driving that. So all that's a big old problem. And uh, this is going to play into the election. There's no doubt about that. And there's lots of news today on the election front. A New York judge this morning set the trial at March 25th for former President Donald Trump. Now, this is... In the hush money case, right? This is the the, the uh, charges, the allegations that he paid money, I think, out of campaign funds uh, to keep some folks from talking about him. Payments ahead of the 2016 presidential election. That's uh, what these charges involve. And so, Mr. Trump's attorneys sought to have the case dismissed, but a judge this morning denied that request. And, of course, uh, the former president, he blasted D.A. Alvin Bragg, who no doubt is an ideologue. I don't think there's any question about that. And, and it is uh, largely believed that it's uh, billionaire leftist George Soros that swept him into office, as he has in so many other uh, such positions in the country. So he's going to be out campaigning, Mr. Trump says. He said, this is just a way of hurting me in the election because I'm leading by a lot. If I hadn't run, they wouldn't have, they would have been extremely happy. 
So I guess what this means, Will, is we're going to see probably playing out on television yet another courtroom proceeding in, in, involving the former president, and this one on the hush money case. So it's just a constant barrage of, of legal issues the former president is having to deal with. It's hard to, to keep with. up with them. It really is. It, it totally is. And it is hard to, I guess, conclude otherwise that this isn't politically motivated. That, they, well, we can't beat this guy at the polls, so we're just dragging him into court and tie him up so he can't campaign. I mean, it really does appear that way. It's, yeah. it's, it's um, they, they would have a hard time convincing otherwise, honestly. Meanwhile, on the other side, you've got Biden, who just every day it's some new Man. revelation about his <clears throat> mental ability. Yeah, I know. I mean, I've never seen two candidates with more baggage. I agree. <laughs> you know, and nobody can take advantage of I it. I know it. Well, we're stepping aside for Fox News and Super Talk News because it's top of the hour. When we return, it's Mississippi State Senator Joey Fillingain. Stay with us. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays is live from the Element Well studio on this Friday Eve, as Rhino would say. We welcome to uh, the program now Mississippi State Senator Joey Fillingane. He serves as the chairman of uh, Judd B. there in the Senate, represents District 41. Senator, good to see you, sir. Hey, good to be with you. All right. Well, it was good to see you the other day in the Capitol. Looks like that you were probably running in between meetings. It's getting kind of busy down there, isn't it? Yes, sir. It has been crazy the last couple of really three, four weeks with the economic development sessions and then with all of the deadlines coming up this week and next. That, um, Senator, what's, uh, what is the first deadline that is approaching here and when is that? So the first deadline was yesterday that approached to request all of the bills to file the session to be filed um, by yesterday at 6 p.m. And then we have to have those filed by um, Monday, this coming Monday. So those are coming fast and furious. Okay. So uh, anything in particular that you're keeping your eye on, What uh, any bills that you filed or any priorities that you're paying attention to? For sure. We've got several. Um, I've got an ES bill that I filed um, that tries to uh, regulate um, the type of investments that we have in Mississippi as far as PERS and other entities that we would invest state dollars on to make sure that they don't have um, requirements that you have to, uh, you know, spend those dollars on certain things like, I mean, social issues or environmental issues, anti-fossil fuels, those sorts of things. 
So I've got that piece of legislation that will probably be going maybe something to like the banking committee or somewhere in that frame. I've got a bill on surrogacy and in vitro fertilization that's um, kind of personal to me. I used that process out of state about three years ago to have my two twin boys. And the reason I went out of state largely was because there were no laws in Mississippi on our statute that would protect that process. So when you're talking about starting a family or growing a family through means of uh, the surrogacy process or in vitro fertilization, the last thing you want to do is to go through that process, have children, you know, full term, and you're blessed to have them. And then a year or two later down the road, have somebody showing up um, who says, now I want to claim uh, you know, paternity or maternity or child um, visitation rights or custody or, you know, child support, all those sorts of things. So um, I've got a bill that sort of takes from some Florida statutes and Utah statutes that lays out a, um, a process by which you can do that. And if you do follow that guideline and that procedure, then the state's laws would back up your agreement with the different parties involved in either donating the sperm or donating the egg or carrying the child um, in the surrogacy fashion so that that agreement on the front end can be codified and the state laws will back that up and you don't ever have to worry about you know unforeseen circumstances on down the road. So that's a bill that I'm working on this session uh, particularly. And then, of course, I chair the Judiciary B Committee, so we handle all of the criminal law statutory changes. Uh, so if you want to create a new crime or increase a penalty or reduce a penalty or any of those sorts of issues, those will be coming before us as well. Okay. So what you're saying then is that no such laws uh, presently exist in the state of Mississippi. So if, if you um, engage the, the, the services essentially of, of a surrogate, uh, somebody could come along afterwards and, like you said, and claim maternity or paternity. And then what would happen, Senator? The, the courts would have to sort that out, I guess, sort of subjectively. Yeah, it's, sort of, it's very Wild Wild West style. Now, of course, you can create a contract between you and the parties, and you hope that um, the people would do that in the absence of some sort of um, state statutory guideline. Yeah. Um, but some people, I think, don't, and they're really leaving themselves open to a lot of unforeseen consequences um, in that situation. So I feel like something as important as creating a family or starting or expanding a family, we ought to have some sort of um, statutory guidance. And again, if you choose not to to use that, you can do it your own way and you know roll the dice and hope things work out well and nothing ever happens. But I think for people like me that um, knew that there was nothing on the books um, that would protect the process, I did not feel comfortable personally doing that process here in, in my home state. And that's a shame. We ought to be able to do it here. It would be much more cost effective. I know there are doctors, you know, high risk OBGYNs and fertility type clinics that are located here in the state. And I feel like their business would increase greatly if people had the comfort level of knowing that I can do it here in Mississippi. I don't have to leave home. I don't have to travel across the country. I don't have to spend all that extra money and travel. I can focus on you know, getting pregnant, having a baby, and not worrying about the unforeseen consequences that might um, develop later on in the absence of a statutory scheme that lays out how to do it correctly. Okay. All right. Well, it makes sense. Have you uh, kind of surveyed uh, the, the body there to see what the temperature is? 
Well, you know, I've talked to a lot of my colleagues. I've talked to the lieutenant governor's office, and um, you know, I've received nothing but um, warm, positive, you know, glowing like affirmation that this is something that we didn't even know we didn't have at this point. Because I guess it's such a a new phenomenon. A lot of families are waiting later in life to have children, and as such, they run into some fertility issues many times. And you have single people like myself who haven't found the right person that they want to marry and start a family with in the traditional way, but yet the time is clicking and you want to have children. So a lot of single people are using this process nowadays as well. So it's relatively new, but I feel like this this law hasn't kept up with the science. Okay, makes sense. All right, uh, what else is a priority for you in particular that uh, are likely to flow through your committee there? Well, we've got this bill that um, we will likely take up maybe as early as Tuesday dealing with the whole Miller versus um, State of Alabama Supreme Court decision. It focuses on juveniles who take a life um, and they've committed a a horrible crime. The U.S. Supreme Court has said you can't just give that person, that juvenile, life without parole without going through a series of what they have now deemed the Miller test that ask were there any mental health issues in that child's background, were there abuse issues in that child's background, sort of like a mitigating factor list of things that you must consider before you just throw them away for the rest of their lives without the possibility of parole. So our law really doesn't speak to that currently, so we're not technically in compliance with the Miller decision. We've tried a couple of times the last couple of years to update our statutes to um, get into compliance and for whatever reason it would pass one chamber not pass the other or whatever so we're trying to um, yet again adhere to the U.S. Supreme Court's um, dictates in Miller versus Alabama and get our statutes in line and unfortunately I think we and across the country are seeing more and more crimes being committed in the juvenile space and many of those unfortunately do get violent and some of them lead to murder so we need to address this issue, and I hope we can do that successfully in cooperation with our House counterparts this session. Hmm. Some of the uh, one of the high-profile measures that uh, has passed the House is the ballot initiative process. Where do you stand on that, Senator? Well, I haven't read, to be quite honest with you, their particular version of that, but I do have concerns. If you look across the country and you see states that do have ballot measures, like California comes to mind, for instance, you see a whole bunch of, um, I think, good intentions run amok. So the state legislature who you elect to come and create these laws um, can be certainly bypassed by a well-funded out-of-state organization that can come in and they can change your abortion laws, they can change your Medicaid laws, they can change how we vote and ranked choice voting, all these sorts of, of issues that as a conservative Republican, I'm not in favor of. So certainly I'm, I'm open to looking at what the language of the House has sent to us and seeing what kind of carve-outs they've made. And then the question becomes, are those carve-outs even constitutional? Because if you say, okay, we're going to have a ballot initiative and we're going to allow the populace to speak directly and change laws directly uh, by virtue of this initiative process, but for this particular issue and this particular issue and that particular issue, I feel like um, some of that stuff may not pass constitutional muster if it's challenged, and it almost certainly would be on the federal level. So in most states that have the initiative process, 
there are very few carve-outs. It's basically you either have the process and it's wide open for pretty much anything or you don't have the process. So given that situation, personally, I would rather not have the process than to have one that covers some things and not other things and it raises the specter of a constitutional issue um, potentially. So that's a concern I personally have. Okay. Uh, You got to go? Can you hang around for another segment? I'm good, if you're good. Yeah. We'll want to get to uh, your thoughts about uh, some other high-profile issues. If you can stick around, we've got Senator Joey Fillingain, represents Mississippi's District 41, serves as chair of Judd B. in the Senate. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. With Gerard Gibbert. What? what? <laughs> this is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. With you in the Element Well studio, we're visiting with uh, State Senator uh, Joey Fillingain. He chairs uh, Judd B. So, just looking, uh, Senator, down the list of, of some of the the measures that uh, you have authored or, or listed as the principal authored, uh, quite a few, which honestly is is not unusual given your your time in the Senate and also the committee which you chair. There's always lots of stuff to be done. Yes, most of that, it seems like, involves uh, just kind of adjusting or tuning a little bit our, our laws with respect to um, what when something is maybe not being handled right from a justice perspective. I think it's fair to say. Would you agree that captured that relatively accurately there? As as typical, you have hit the nail on the proverbial <laughs> head um, with that, um, and cer- certain things. Um, we've seen in my committee over the past five years that I've chaired Judd B, um, you'll see technology. So a lot of things like with the Internet and with sexting and with, you know, grooming and those sorts of things that are sort of new. I mean, the actions aren't necessarily new or the crimes aren't new per se, but it's a new medium by which crimes are committed. Yeah. So the Internet, the cell phones, those sorts of things um, – we, we've had to address. I remember, I think it was a year or two ago, we had a situation on one of our university campuses where some of the fraternity guys were using drones to, you know, go and peer into some of the sorority ladies, you know, dressing rooms and things of that nature. So 
I mean, peeping toms have been around for a long, long time, but we haven't had the drone technology that we now have. So we had to adjust the law to make sure that you're, you know, being a voyeur and you're using some sort of new technology to accomplish that, that you're still going to be subject to those sorts of penalties because the defense in certain cases was, well, the law doesn't say I can't do that with a drone, basically. So I must be able to do that with a drone. (laughs) And so oftentimes... We have to really not create new crimes necessarily, but we have to adjust the definitions of those crimes to include all the up- upgraded technologies that we now have in our society. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, of course, the explosion of uh, artificial intelligence that has, has come on strong onto the scene. You're probably familiar with a disturbing case in New Jersey, I believe it was, and it was uh, some high school sophomores that used artificial intelligence uh, to create pornographic images and, and even video using the head, the face of a classmate, and that got out. And yeah, and of course, as recently the Taylor Swift case, yeah. you got the all the Taylor Swift stuff doing exactly the same thing with her image, not on her body, but it was superimposed in a way that you can't just the naked eye tell the difference what is real and what is a deep fake. So I think we're going to have legislation actually on some of that specific stuff dealing with um, using artificial intelligence, using all this computer technology to basically frame somebody um, in a pornographic video or a sex act of some sort that's really not even them. But it looks like them, and to me and you, just you know, scrolling through the internet, you wouldn't be able to tell if it was or was not them. You know, experts can tell, you know, right. by looking at the digitization process and unmasking that. But just the general public, you couldn't tell the difference. So yes, we're having a lot of new crimes or new definitions of old crimes being updated yeah. to account for artificial intelligence, the the computer technologies of today. And this is something, as you well know, that's going to have to be addressed at all levels of government, just not at the state level, but at the federal level as well. And and something that I have serious concerns about, I'm sure you've thought through this, is it's an election year. we got elections coming up. And uh, how might uh, uh, campaigns, or it doesn't even have to be campaigns, I'm not necessarily suggesting that, that they would engage in such uh, malicious or nefarious activity, but you got third parties that could and could start distributing this sort of content. And as you said, the naked eye couldn't tell. It, um, yeah, experts can, but that's only after they um, apply some sort of electronic tools to which they have access that, that uh, the average person doesn't and wants to provide cats out of the bag it's just hard to kind of put it back in and that's uh it's a concern Absolutely. the damage is done by yeah. the time um, especially in the election context which you have you know these october surprises that drop from time to time i can now see october surprises being you know fake videos of some politician doing something allegedly that he or she never actually did yeah but with this new technology, you can create a video to show somebody doing pretty much anything. So it's timely in the sense that um, by the time it's demasked and uncovered and the record is set straight, the election may already be over with. So, you know, state actors like Russia, or Iran or North Korea, it doesn't even have to be that. It could be, you know, one of the political groups that have strong feelings one way or the other. 
it's just a whole new world of um, Pandora's box being opened up uh, using these technologies, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and it's it's going to continue to challenge, as you know, uh, all aspects of government plus our justice systems. It's just complicated, and it's and it's uh, coming at us rather rapidly. Uh, I wanted to turn our attention to a, a high-profile item that I, I feel like is going to receive lots of attention, uh, certainly in this session, and that's uh, school choice, mm-hmm. education freedom. We had Robert Enlow on the program a couple of days ago. He is the president, uh, CEO of uh, the national organization, uh, organization Ed choice. Where do you stand on that, Senator, on school choice and perhaps expanding options in Mississippi? Look, thank you for the question. I think it's so timely. I am 1,000% in favor of expanding school choice options. And, you know, what I've told my people back home, and this comes up on occasion when you're speaking to groups, the rich, or not even the rich, but the better off in our society, they have school choice. Yeah. Let's be honest. If you can afford to write a check and send your child to a private school and you can afford to transport them to that private school, then you have school choice. The people that are suffering the most, in my humble opinion, are the people in the middle and lower income brackets in our state. They don't effectively have any school choice right now because they don't have the income sufficient to pay for private school tuition, perhaps. they Even if they did, they don't have the means, if they live in a rural area like I represent in my district in many cases, to transport their child back and forth if that child can't drive yet um, to get, you know, three counties over to get to the private school, even if they could afford to send them there. So there are lots of challenges based on your socioeconomic status, based on geography and where you're located that may make a true school choice not even available for you. Um, But nowadays, you have lots of other options that if you had the financial wherewithal to access those, um, you might could open up a whole new avenue of educational options that would better fit your child. So to me, the theory is if you're a state taxpayer, you're paying taxes, and if you don't believe, and I believe parents are best suited to make those decisions for their child, If you as a parent don't believe your child is getting what she or he needs in the public school where you're located, why would we as a state not allow that parent the voucher, the 20, you know, whatever the figure is, $6,500, $6,700 of the state portion of those taxes that we pay for that child to use that for a parochial school, for a private school, for a homeschool setting? Um, one of these co-ops nowadays where parents band together and they do homeschooling as a group, I feel like the parent ought to be the deciding factor for their child to know what's best for that child. And if you try something different and it's not working, you can always go back to where you started from, but you ought to have the freedom. And I think we ought to empower parents with the choice and the wherewithal to, to access those other options personally. You know, we've had some false starts, so to speak, on on uh, expanding choice options in Mississippi. We we already have some, um, as you're well aware, mm-hmm. uh, some um, laws that we were able to get enacted uh, several years ago for special needs um, uh, situations, right. dyslexia, charter schools. But we stopped short of a more universal school choice situation. It, it feels like, Senator, that the attitude under the dome there is improving somewhat towards this. Your thoughts? 
I think it is improving. And, you know, I think, um, like you said, we've got other states surrounding us now who are taking up the school choice. And the last thing we want to do, in my opinion, is to be left behind because we don't want families to feel like they're trapped in a school setting that's not benefiting their child. Yeah. And in many instances, unfortunately, that's what I'm doing for many of the parents that I represent. Yep. Senator Joey uh, Fillingain has been our guest on the Middays. Really appreciate you joining us today, and uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing you around some more down there at the Capitol. Thanks a lot. It's always an honor. Thank you for having me on, Mr. Gibbert. You got it. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. A Monday warrior, me, me, strike. Today's Tom Sawyer, me, me, We are back in the Element Well studio. We sure thank Senator Joey Fillingain for taking some time to call in and share his thoughts. Really good to hear, uh, Will, that the senator, and, and honestly, he has uh, held this view as long as I've known him, uh, a, a very strong supporter of education choice in the state of uh, Mississippi. I, I think, uh, honestly, I'm just going to call it, the way that I think is consistent with what we have heard on the air on this in this studio from the lieutenant governor, who doesn't seem to be completely convinced that um, additional options in school choice are warranted. In fact, what he said, you remember, well, early on in the session we, when he was on with Mr. Gallo, is that, hey, we already have school choice. And it's true. We do. We have the um, dyslexia scholarship. We have the special needs um, education scholarship account, and then, of course, we have charter schools. But that's stopped short of uh, additional options, such as what we discussed with Mr. Enloe for a med choice a couple of days ago on the program, and, and we've talked about quite a bit with uh, other guests as well, um, about expanding to be more consistent with what we're seeing enacted in other states, such as neighboring Arkansas, allowing a public-to-private education scholarship account or a public-to-public um, open enrollment situation, we've, we stopped short of that. And so but in my conversations with members, it, it does seem like that, uh, th- that the, the mood is more positive uh, towards getting additional choice options. A lot, of, a lot of the details, I guess, are... Of course. Devil's always in the details. Absolutely. Right? Always. And and there and uh you know what we talked about so many times on the program including with what I thought was a great conversation with Mr. Enlow a couple of days ago is it can be whatever you want it to be. It passes through the legislature and gets signed off on by the governor and and uh and turned into law. 
But just in general, how it has been established in other states, I think, is a good way to look at it and very instructive as to the way it likely would be um, created in, in this state. And there's a lot of fear-mongering around it. It's going to cause this and this and this, and the overwhelming majority of that is, is, is really not accurate. It's not honest. And But the, unfortunately, as is always the case with controversial political issues, you've got the opponents who uh, tend to stimulate the fear-mongering and, and float these, these false assertions out there about what school choice is. And I've kind of, I guess, um, recommended to those such as myself who uh, do support school choice to, to focus more on what it isn't. It's important to explain what it's not because the opponents have kind of hijacked the conversation and they focus more on what it's not, honestly, in in an effort to um, influence public sentiment against it. And so I think it's important that we just clarify all that. No, this isn't what it is. Like, for example, that a private school would have to accept every applicant. Well, that's not true. Um, I mean, you could, of course, try to enact something like that. I think it'd be challenged and it would lose. But uh, school choice proponents and, and, uh, don't support that. And uh, I don't know of any state which has implemented school choice uh, statutorily that uh, where they've included such a provision. Hey, if someone applies for a scholarship account, a savings account, and the state allocates those funds to them and they apply uh, for uh, enrollment to your private school, you got to accept them. Nobody's ever said that, and that's never been the way it has been implemented in the other states. That's an example. Or that there would just be this exodus from a a low-performing school uh, where students would transfer to a nearby high-performing school, and that would overwhelm the high-performing school. You hear that as an objection as well. And and that's absolutely not the way uh, it works. Um, in the states that have total open enrollment, such as Florida. They've got some reasonable capacity guardrails around that, but the experience has shown that really doesn't happen. People, generally speaking, want to stay in a school that is associated with their address. They just want to improve. What typically happens is when you have that open enrollment situation is the poor-performing schools all of a sudden get better. they got a little competition. Nothing like competition to uh, drive improvement. And no matter what the endeavor is, public sector, private sector. So um, I think it's just important to, to cut through and, um, and uh, I guess, rebut and uh, refute, honestly, yeah. with fact, these, these assertions that are just wrong about school choice. Um, the senator obviously knows that, Senator Philly Game. So I appreciate I think he said 1,000% in favor of it. And he's absolutely so right. The affluent, they got choice. They can move. If they want to go to a public school that, that performs better than one that perhaps is associated with where they live, or if they want to to um, just pull their child out of public school and, and pay tuition mm-hmm. to the private school, they're still paying their taxes uh, to support the public school. That doesn't change. They're now having to pay more, essentially, because they're paying tuition to go to the private school. I'm from, the, I'm from North Mississippi, and we don't have a whole lot of private schools in North Mississippi. Uh, it's interesting, Gerard, uh, my first cousin growing up lived across the street, and we went to two different schools Yeah, because the that's the that's that was the district line, was the road. And so I, I, my brother and I went to one school. My cousin went to another school. Yeah. 
Um, it would have been nice to have, you know, us family to go to school together. I mean, we were cousins. I mean, we, we <laughs> you know, we live in a rural part of the, 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 the state. I mean, that's the, you know, the only friend I have in a, a five-mile radius. So it would be nice to go to the school with uh, my cousin across the street. But we couldn't do it because of the law. Just one street. One street. Yeah. Yeah, that, so I mean, it's stuff like that that I think we could address, and and I don't think it would cause any major problem. And then certainly, um, experience has shown in the states where they've enacted uh, universal school choice it, it, that hasn't been a problem. So, but we'll see what happens. I I think that uh, we're, we're going to see some bills, no doubt, uh, already filed, and and we'll be tracking those and and see where they go. Uh, pivot a little bit. A very interesting situation yesterday with the company Lyft, L-Y-F-T. They are a competitor to Uber. Most people are familiar with Uber. They're a ride-hailing company, L-Y-F-T. And a typo, a typo in their report, their quarterly report, sent the stop soaring. And here's why. They had an extra zero. <laughs> and and uh, a statement about their future, uh, their guidance, as it is called. They said they expected their profit margins to increase by 500 basis points. And a basis point is a unit of measurement that's commonly used in the financial industry because so often when you're talking about big dollar values, a, a fraction, a small adjustment is a lot, amounts to a lot. You know, a half a percent of a... Of a fifty billion is a lot, for example. So basis point has been the standard in the financial industry as long as I can remember. Well, uh, they said that their profit margin was going to increase by five hundred basis points. That sounds like a lot. It's actually five percent, but five percent is a lot in investment terms in the context of investment. Well, it turns out. It's only 50 basis points. <laughs> it had a zero roll. So instead of 5%, it's 0.5%. Well, that's significant, but it was a clerical error is, is what the company is officially saying. And once they corrected it, it, it did tend to pull the stock back a little bit. But I, I don't know that I've ever seen that before. The stock soared by more than 60% overnight as a result of this typo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was determined that there was nothing nefarious going on there. You know, it wasn't... Uh, intentional deception, uh, but I've never seen that before. That's weird, just a typo. But you can see how that would happen. But typically, those documents, those report, they're reviewed extensively by by multiple proofreaders of such documents. This doesn't appear that that was uh, the case here. Um, something else is going on that is uh, a bit disturbing is uh, reports that the Russians are talking about playing nuclear shoot 'em up in space. Yeah, this this broke yesterday. Kind of a weird situation. Um, basically, a Republican uh, representative just said, "Hey, uh, we got to start telling everybody about what's going on. We need the president to declassify some information. Russia has a." national security threat that people need to be made aware of and apparently it involves satellites and yeah they're talking about using some sort of nuclear capability to attack 
our satellites hovering above the Earth, which would be incredibly disruptive to the whole world. That's what they're talking about. And so their concerns coming out of our security uh, folks that say, I don't know that we're necessarily ready for that. Now, I was disturbed to hear that they were less than, hey, don't worry about that. That's kind of what I wanted to hear. (laughs) We we expected this. We anticipated this. We got that covered. But they're saying, well, we're not really sure. I don't like to hear that. We'll come back with uh, more on that after uh, the break here. We're in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Hey, this come on, come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is Middays. We thank you so much for joining us. We're in the Element Well studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. So this, uh, this migrant that attacked police officer, one of them, in uh, New York a couple of weeks ago. Remember the video went viral showing that, kicking the police officer. Well, he's been released, of course, on bail. Goes out and commits robbery. Unbelievable. And when are we going to learn? Seems like this would be playing big time in the upcoming election because it just does appear that, in general, the Democrat Party has no intention of prosecuting criminals, of course, based on their race. It's all, it's all race-driven. It's all about the marginalized populations and all that sort of stuff. It shouldn't matter. Crime is crime. So now they're talking about the problems they're experiencing in New York with gangs from Venezuela. I'm looking right now on the television in the studio at a screen showing the various tattoos that identify the different gangs, all from Venezuela. So now we got Venezuelan gangs wreaking havoc in America's largest city. And I'm sure it won't be limited to uh, just New York, but FBI is warning about this. Really is Incredible, and they just don't seem to be interested in addressing. So, you were talking earlier about the proceeding in uh, Georgia concerning Fonnie Willis and her exploits with her her boyfriend. Did they get married and then divorced? I think right. Is that something like something that. like that? 
But this is a problem because she's going after former President Trump, and of course, it's it is totally politically motivated. It's pretty clear, honestly. But so he testified this morning, uh-huh. and I listened to a little bit before the show. It was carried live, and uh, I don't know what came of it, but I think the ultimate goal here is to disqualify her from even uh, heading up the case there. So uh, in 2020, uh, an interviewer asked uh, Ms. Willis uh, why the people of Fulton County should support her for district attorney. All right, you ready? Because they deserve a DA that won't have sex with his employees. Because they deserve a DA that won't put money in their own pocket when it should go to benefit children. Because we deserve... Oh, let's see. You did all those things there, Toots. God dang. Unbelievable. But if you if you condemn her, you're racist, right? You can't do that. Gosh, dog. Ah. You deserve it. And it does all the stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually agree with you there, Bonnie. Yeah. That's why you need to go. There's, Saturday Night Live used to have, you know how those fake commercials they did? They used to do this this uh, in the 90s. They did this fake ad, this fake campaign election ad for this guy. His his campaign promises he won't murder any more people. You know, that was his campaign promise. Right. It's almost like a parody now. That's where Real we've gotten. I mean, sadly, that seems like where we've gotten, right? I, well, I won't murder anybody. So, okay, great. That makes you qualified these days. That's sad. I mean, it really is. But uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, surely the result of this is that she'll be DQ'd and this thing goes away because I think it, it needs to. And I mean, maybe there is some uh, some justification for the suit, but it, it's just hard to come to that conclusion when you've got somebody that obviously blatantly lies the way she did. You, you certainly can't trust her. And it's just pretty clear just hearing her talk and um, and watching her, her body English and her rhetoric, she just has deep contempt for the former president. That's just pretty clear, and this is all politically motivated. All right, we're going to step aside for a break right now. It is top of the hour. It's high noon in the great state of Mississippi. We got Fox News, Super Talk News coming your way. Another hour of talk in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi.
back, everyone. It is the afternoon portion of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio on this Friday Eve. So uh, I want to point out they opened up the show Friday night at, on the set list with Journey with only the young there. Everybody was that? wailing, including me, in row three. <laughs> we had a great time. So I was informed yesterday. I don't think I'm speaking out of school here. I was informed by uh, someone who would know, works uh, at high level in government, that the take for the Mississippi Coast Coliseum, the net revenue uh, from the concert, from the show Friday night, largest in history for the Mississippi Coast Coliseum. Yeah. How about that? Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And, of course, I I track the boys, you know, through these these social media sites that – those of us who are big Journey fans are members of, and, and they sold out again last night, Greenville, South Carolina, Fort Lauderdale a couple of days ago. So they're in their 70s, man. It's hard to believe, except Arnel Panetta, the lead singer. That's incredible. It really is. So the music is timeless, I think. They don't make music like that anymore. You don't have somebody like a Neil Sean that can stand on the stage and just pick the guitar like he can, lightning speed fingers, and just... You know, play music that you kind of get into. So, I know I'm I'm biased. How was Toto? I didn't hear you. Awesome. Really? They're awesome. Now, you know, there's only two founding members left, and and uh, there were two brothers that uh, the Porcaro brothers that uh, pa- passed away. The drummer, which is c- considered to be one of the greatest of all times, Jeff Porcaro. Um, uh, he died, don't you? Yeah. Have I told you this story? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Tell it again. If you've ever seen the mockumentary, uh, this is Spinal Tap, in there, one of the kind of running themes is that their drummers all die of weird issues. Yeah. And one of them passes, it's not funny, I'm, I shouldn't laugh, one of them passes away because of a bizarre gardening accident. Well, Picaro died of a bizarre gardening accident. He actually was out, like spreading fertilizer in his yard, and it turns out he had an allergic rea- reaction to it and died. Yeah. Very weird. I remember you telling that now. But yeah. Toto is one of those bands that, um, I know Houston said he was at the concert, too. He said the he drummer was. was just incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah, he sure was. I mean, you big about, shoes to yeah, fill. Yeah, Africa, that, that song Unbelievable, man. A, a great drum beat. <laughs> uh, Steve Lukather, uh, the, the, the white, bushy-haired lead mm-hmm. singer, lead guitarist. Who's fantastic, and I guess what what always strikes me is I think about watching the videos that were recorded during their heyday, you know, in the in the eighties, and then him now. Of course, we all change as we get older, yeah. of course. Uh, but yeah, it was fantastic, and uh, lots and, of. And Rosanna was about Rosanna Arquette, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, a lot of fun. But man, it's great to hear that the Mississippi Coast Coliseum uh, had a big payday from that and uh that's just because they sold the place out and then in the ticket prices were were elevated relative to other concerts that's what i'm told is that it had to do with that but you know market rules and still sold them um i will say this and if folks are listening down there just um i hope it's not taken as a complaint because it's not meant to be but uh, we paid a little extra for the package that gets you reserved parking and uh, we entered the Coliseum parking lot there off off of Highway 90. You know, there's a main entrance that um, is a split with a medium that goes straight up to the Coliseum, as you know. And then you 
typically veer to the you can go left or right right you go in front of the coliseum and then out and there's some parking over there but the larger parking is to the left so what happened is well they they routed us um right next to adjacent to the coliseum sidewalk in the entry and when we got there and this was routing us to our reserve parking and when we got there there's a sea of people obviously you know showing their tickets to get in the in the Coliseum building, and they're not they're not paying attention. I mean, they're trying to get you know it, in line there, but man, I'm going like one two miles an hour, and there's just people a sea of them in front of me. It's like, gosh, this is just dangerous because it's not just me and my vehicle being careful, but a, a whole bunch of them lined up. I don't know what the solution is. I'm just passing on that that it concerned me just yeah. having to deal with that and seeing that. More about the safety, certainly, of the pedestrians, of people walking there. And, again, I don't know how to fix it, but I hope somebody um, heeds this and, and maybe studies it and figures something else out. It, we're, we're fortunate. I'd heard of no incidents where anybody got hurt. And, of course, let's be honest, folks, uh, they've already started drinking, and it's 730 at night when the concert starts. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're showing up about 10 after 7 there, and it's hundreds of people. And they're straddling the the road essentially, or the um, the area that into the ramp that goes into the the parking lot. So I'm just worried about that, and hopefully we can do something about. It. Other than that, everything was fantastic. Um, kudos to all the the workers there, security, everything else at the Coliseum was fantastic. And um, I, something else that I noted is that the members of the band when they would address the crowd and they would state the name they did properly pronounce biloxi because you know oh. it's it's a word that's often pronounced yeah. biloxi you biloxi. hear that if you don't know you know and you're from out of state but somebody had had coached them on that so it's really good when when uh, the lead guitarist the kind of main figurehead of the band neil sean he said uh, hello biloxi and he said it right so i was saying yeah I, you know <laughs> i was at the rodeo last night the dixie national rodeo last night and one of the uh uh, Bronc Riders, I believe it was, is from Louisville, Mississippi, and the yeah. announcer goes and from and they had it up on the screen, you know, Louisville, Mississippi, and sure enough, from Louisville, Mississippi, and you know, me, I just went, oh, of course, <laughs> of course. Well, overall, though, a uh, great time, and uh, and and happy that the Coliseum did well, and and. Kudos to them for uh, bringing the group there. Historically, I've always gone to New Orleans to see them. And by the way, it was, it's been 12 years since they've been to Mississippi. And and Neil said they've been 12 years, been too long. You know, is what yeah. he said. So, what did they play at before? Was it the coast as well? Uh, yeah, at the, I believe so. At the Coliseum, I think it's the only venue that could accommodate. I would I would imagine. So yeah, because I'm thinking about the. Uh Cadence Bank Arena in Tupelo. I, I, they did go there, but I think he was specifically talking about okay. being at performing. I could be wrong, but I think yeah. he was referring to the last time they were in Biloxi. So, uh, but that was good. A lot of fun. Uh, Jerry in Waynesboro. We were talking about the stock market. It says put money in waste management. Look at the garbage the immigration is going to create. Uh, 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 Let's see. Also on the ceasefire tax line, Mike and Sims County. What are your thoughts on this mysterious national security concern? Seems like Kansas City tragedy is taking over the newsfeed. So, yeah, hopefully you heard us talk about that, Mike. This is this this threat of nuclear attack 
that um, uh, by the Russians against uh, American assets uh, in space, space assets, and uh, the FBI is actually warning about it. And if I'm not mistaken, um, Microsoft is reporting uh, details. They're saying that there are rivals to this country using artificial intelligence and hacking, and they're concerned how that might actually spread to space as well. So no secret... We've talked about this extensively on the program that that the uh, it, the need to to dominate and achieve superiority in artificial intelligence is just as important as the need to achieve our, um, superiority in air power, in sea power, in nuclear power, etc. So this is the new frontier of um, of uh, conflict, if you think about it, and it could have honestly greater consequences that exceed that of just traditional uh, war. Because they can reach out and and, and, and grab you. Yeah. And um, so you start penetrating our, our our critical infrastructure systems that just would shut the whole dang country down, the whole world, honestly. Banking systems. A lot of people don't think about that, but you break through those banking systems and you stop bank transactions from happening, you're talking about a, just a, a an incredible negative uh, result from that, super deleterious consequences as a result. So cybercrime is it's real, it's huge. Uh, the bad guys ha- are they're well funded? Is are China and Russia? They've got um, very sophisticated talent, and uh, they'll put a gun to their head and make them work on this kind of stuff. Honestly, so it's not necessarily voluntary, as you can imagine, like it is in this country. So, um, let's see here on the ceasefire text line. Ask him where his kids go. Um, I think that was for the senator. I don't think his kids are old enough to be enrolled in school, um, honestly. This is on the ceasefire text line. I think they're toddlers at this point. Uh, let's see. When do you think former President Donald Trump should go on trial on many of the charges that he's accused of? Well, we just shared with you earlier, March 25th, that's the trial date set for the hush money case in New York. These other cases, don't know. I mean, it looks like that it's unlikely they will occur before he uh, it goes to the ballot box in the general election. We're coming right back. Stay with us. It's game day at Jim's house, and the spread is impressive. Mike's already done some damage with the hot wings, and now he's dropping back and going deep for another slice of pizza. I sure hope he brought the Pepto. Mike knows the Pepto-Bismol provides fast, five-symptom relief from unexpected stomach upsets. He's no rookie. (laughs) The way he's throwing back those nachos, he's the GOAT. Be ready for game day with Pepto-Bismol. When you have nausea, heartburn, indigestion, upset stomach, diarrhea. Use as directed. Keep out of reach of children. You mind your own business. Mind my own business? What's that supposed to mean? No, I was just thinking about all of the news of tax changes, insurance changes, regulations that are being passed down to business owners. I don't have the time to keep growing and to keep up with changing payroll regulations. I know. It seems like all I do is handle employee-related problems. You know, I hear People Lease can help. How can they help? People Lease can handle our payroll, taxes, employee benefits, and workers' compensation. They even offer an affordable and customizable 401k program and a 24-7 online 
online human resources support center for all my HR needs. Think of all the time we'll save letting People Lease handle our payroll and benefits administration. I'll be busy growing my business and letting People Lease take care of the rest. Sounds like a good business plan with People Lease. Let People Lease mind your business so you can mind your own business. Call now, 601-987-3025. That's 601-987-3025. Or visit freepayrollquotes.com for your free quote. The 59th Annual Dixie National Livestock Show and Rodeo presented by Southern Ag Credit now through February 18th at the Mississippi State Fairgrounds. 4-H and FFA youth from across the state are showcasing their swine, sheep, goats, and cattle in the junior roundup. Exhibitors of all ages travel from across the country to show a variety of livestock in our open shows. Find the full schedule at DixieNational.org. I'm Commissioner Andy Gibson, and I'll see y'all at the Dixie National. I'm here with Alex Murray of Auto Innovation. At Auto Innovation, we want to change your car buying experience. When you're in the market for a quality pre-owned vehicle, please come see us. We want to make friends, not just customers. All eligible vehicles are inspected by a master tech mechanic and come with a limited powertrain warranty on us. We are located on Highway 51 in Ridgeland. Come by and see us or check out our inventory online at autoinnovation.net. Let us change your car buying experience. Auto Innovation, Highway 51 in Ridgeland. Be sure and check out the newly remodeled Basils in Fondren, where you get simple food done well. And don't forget to drop by Basils Fountain View at the Renaissance. Go to eatbasils.com for online ordering for both locations. That's Basils. Family Termite is a proud VIP sponsor of the Handyman Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Whether you're a proud DIYer or a seasoned veteran, Mississippi's handyman Buddy Slowick has the answers to your home improvement questions each Saturday from 10 till noon. To all the folks in the Capital City metro area, love to have you join me tomorrow morning, 6 to 9, Gallo Show. We'll start your day the informed way, Super Talk Mississippi 97.3. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians, Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi. everyone Dewey Bunnell and Jerry Buckley America never really understood what that one was all about of course with no name a song with no meaning <laughs> oh my gosh let's see one big problem this is on the ceasefire text line from the 228 one big problem is the schools are funded by local tax dollars. It's not as simple as just moving state-funded portion with the students. Some communities invest a lot to have a quality district. Others, sadly, don't have same resources or just don't make it a priority. I, I really don't see how that enters into the equation with respect to um, education choice. And that is because the local monies, the local revenues that fund education stay with the school uh 
based on the district in which the school, the county in which the school is located, that um, that really – and the district as it is drawn as well. So it is, as far as the taxes, the Avalorum tax is collected in that district. So it really doesn't affect school choice because only the state portion would follow the student. Uh, in the state of Mississippi, of course, you're aware that schools are funded in accordance with a formula, the Mississippi um, Adequate Education. I can't remember what the P stands for, but MAEP is the acronym, of course. So the local school districts are required to contribute 28 mills. That's just a, a percentage, essentially, of their ad valorem taxes. It's a component of their ad valorem taxes. I'm not going to get into the details. It's $28 for every 1000 bucks of assessed property, 28 mils. Uh, unless the, the revenue generated from that 28 mils exceeds 27% of the cost of the program, that's the 27% rule. That's been in effect in Mississippi for some time. Uh, it got a little tuning and tweaking. School, I mean, districts, of course, uh, citizens can obviously invest more. They're not, they're not limited to just the 28 mils or the 27 percent. They can invest more, and it's there's no doubt. The more affluent districts, uh, they do invest more. They they allocate more of their ad valorem taxes than the mandate from the state, in accordance with the MAEP formula from the state. Uh, but with respect to the poor performing districts, they still keep the local portion, the 27% or 28 mils, uh, whichever is lower. The, it's the state portion that would follow the child, the assumption being that you don't need these resources. You don't need this money, essentially, to educate the child because the child's not attending your school anymore. So I say, again, the key is is to improve the quality of education. And, again, most in most situations, overwhelmingly, Parents don't want to move their school, their, their kids out of school, to which they are um, uh, attached based on their address. They really don't want to do that. It's, it's inconvenient, and it's just you know, they don't like change. But in cases where there's, there's problems, they're, they're, their child's not thriving, and they feel like that they could in a different setting, I think that is the prerogative of the parent. That's what education choice is. And so it's the state money that is essentially a portion to them, um, their student. It's per, it's a per student amount. And so essentially that money follows the child to uh, another option. This is the way it works in the other states. There, there's not been any situations where school choice has been implemented in these other states where it has caused – uh, severe economic hardships uh, on the on the public schools where a student uh, received an education savings account and then used that to fund um, the education setting, the option of their choice. That hasn't been the case. So I think we, ha- we have to pay attention to what's going on in the other states and be instructed by that. It's the best information we got. Um, and maybe it's a situation where the legislature decides to kind of kind of phase it in, you know, and, and get a little comfortable with it. That's sort of what Arkansas did. They kind of limited who is uh, eligible based on income, socioeconomic status, the way the senator said earlier, uh, based on their household incomes and and other factors as well. I think if they're perhaps children of veterans or have, have uh, disabled caretakers, something to that effect, um, they may qualify um, as well. And then they kind of phase that in to eventually be universal school choice.
So I don't really see that as a as a reason uh, not to move forward with this. How many de- decades have experts been calling for hardening the electric grid against EMP? Could have done, uh, done and built a border wall with the money spent on the illegals. That's on the ceasefire tax line. Well, it cost a whole lot more than that. It's estimated that there's that the cost of the taxpayer cost of uh, handling the illegals in this country is about four hundred fifty billion dollars annually. The vast majority of that's actually state and local. It's not federal. State and local. So with respect to protecting our grid, that is actually more incumbent upon um, the the energy companies themselves. I think, honestly, the, the bigger threat is, uh, is, a, is a malicious attack from a cybersecurity perspective on the energy companies. Uh, they're pretty sophisticated in their cyber protections. They know they have to be. My, my firm actually had a couple of large utility companies that were clients where we handled um, and they, um, you heard the secretary earlier, Will, talking about um, recommending that the counties um, hire consultants to help them with what's called pen testing. By the way, that's short, just for the benefit of our audience, for penetration testing. So what that means, and they're actually uh, what we call um, white hat um, sort of cyber cyber criminals, if you will, that that. Um, Here's how I would do it if I was the bad guy. Well, yeah, basically. right. And they typically they come from they've crossed over. They come from <laughs> a, ca- the, a career. The, the uh, futile uh, existence of a criminal, and they decided to make some money. Right, being a good guy. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and so what they do is they they obviously know how to do that, and so uh, they they. They're ethical hackers is another term we use for them, and and what they'll do. Most companies that provide penetration testing services now it's it's very common, and it's it's kind of a standard in the in the cybersecurity industry. You don't have the same company that provides your cybersecurity technology and solution and support to to design and implement. And support that. That's going to be a different company that provides the uh, that performs the penetration testing, the ethical hackers. So, I mean, you can see how that would be a problem, a conflict. And then, even in some cases, you want a different company if you're going to say hire somebody to design a cybersecurity solution for you. They may be different than the company who implements it, if that makes any sense. So, you you try to separate those duties and and um, those endeavors to avoid possible possible conflict. Um, the energy company is pretty good at this, and they, they've got uh, very strong cyber protections. That doesn't mean they're perfect, because they're not. There's no such thing as that. But I, I think that that's probably a bigger risk than the EMP attacks. But I certainly believe that we do uh, need need problems. <laughs> we need to be uh, vigilant to that, I should say. CJ in the Delta says, don't call me Shirley. <laughs> Sorry about that, CJ. Um why do we need to be like the other states? I mean, if the liberals became the power of this state, do we need to be more like the other states, say California? That's in reference, I'm sure, to my comment about we, we could uh, be instructed by school choice programs implemented in the other states. Uh, well, it, nobody suggested we need to be like the other states. All I simply said was that we have we have templates, we have models. You take what, we have what's working over there and you, you copy it, yeah, basically. exactly. So no, no reason to reinvent the wheel. I, I can share with you uh, something along those lines that I have personal experience with, and that's uh, creation of the Mississippi Lottery Corporation. I, I said 
early on when I got appointed to the board and I was out doing a lot of presentations, before we ever sold the first ticket, before we ever hired an employee, people were just interested, wanted to know. I'd come on this program, as a matter of fact, and talk about it. And I would say, look, if you're a big fan of the lottery, the bad news is <laughs> we're the 45th state to implement one. The good news is we got 44 other states to learn from. And that's the truth. And so if you look at the Alice G. Clark Lottery Act, um, it, it really was designed with lots of input, best practices, what worked, what didn't from the other states. And, in fact, the drafters of our bill talked to the other states. And some would say, don't do this. That was a bad idea. So that's what you can do if you're 45th. The bad news is we lost a whole lot of money going to the neighboring states of uh, Arkansas and Tennessee and uh, Louisiana. In, in the lottery industry, uh, well, we call that leakage. That's what it's called. Everybody drives over to Tallulah. You remember that? I've done it before. Big time. I was in Natchez one time when it got up to a, a lot of money. We drove across the state line and bought it the lottery. Well, that don't happen before. anymore. Yeah. You do it right here in the state of Mississippi, and uh, we've produced lots of money for roads and bridges and education as a result. There you go, little Africa. Toto, appreciate that, Will. Coming back half an hour of middays. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Well, I feel like we're, uh, we're hosting the Mary Whedon show there. Yeah. Because of the Steely Dan. How, how is Mary doing? She's doing good. Okay. She's doing really good. Um, she's a host on our Jackson station, uh, Mary Whedon. Yep. Uh, she's hosted some of our network shows. She had a fall back in November, um, and she's doing better. Good. Um, good so to hear. She's at home. So good to hear. Goodness. Back reunited with her beloved Heidi, her yeah. dog. Talked so. about a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I got to share this with you. You know, I follow old Robert Reich, as, uh, as Rush used to call him. Uh, he's a communist. I just want to go ahead and get that <laughs> out there. He does not believe in uh, uh, private property rights. He does not uh, favor profit. Um, he he is. Uh, I mean, he's beyond just being a socialist. He just doesn't want to plan the economy. He wants the economy to economy to be nationalized mm-hmm. and he wants to eliminate private property rights now i know there's folks out there saying you're crazy gerard that's not what he believes and it's just hyperbole so he once again exhibits his complete lack of understanding of basic business with this post meta that's the the uh, parent of facebook of course laid off twenty one thousand people in late 2023 the company's stock has since surged by 22 percent gifting mark zuckerberg a 28 billion dollar windfall this is what a billionaire rig system looks like so uh there's so much wrong with that nonsense of course it starts with this idea that the CEO of the company, who owns a big portion of the stock, uh, received a, quote, windfall. No. 
You see, <laughs> the stock surged because Mr. Zuckerberg got off his butt and started to eliminate many of the, the business lines that he was uh, promoting, uh, such as uh, the digital assets and the virtual reality and all that crap. He wasn't making any money off that. It was draining the company. Uh, the digital tokens, you know, and all that. The metaverse. That's how they changed the name, mainly because they were kind of were trying to reposition themselves as this this new this new sort of digital asset company. No, really, your core business does pretty good. So when they went back to focusing on their core business, which is selling advertising, just in case anybody didn't know that. And the only reason I point that out, Will, because I'll never forget when he was maybe one of the first times he was called to the U.S. Senate to testify. And I can't remember what the issue was, but one of the dumb Democrat senators, I say dumb, and I'm not the type of person that likes to get personal with the insults like that, but in this case, it was just dumb. Uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, how do you make money? (laughs) I swear he asked him that. And he goes, you know how they always kind of pause a little bit? Because their handlers tell them, don't just immediately jump when you answer a question. Uh, Lawyers will often advise the counsel their clients to do so. Uh, in in testimony, just hesitate a little bit. Gather your thoughts. Take a deep breath before you just impulsively respond. And and Zuckerberg does that, and he kind of leans into the mic and he goes, "Ah, uh, thank you for that question, Senator. Uh, we sell ads." <laughs> so there's no windfall involved here. You see, the company produced an incredible profit, twenty two percent, I think, year over year uh, growth. It produced a, a very tidy, handsome profit with a growing top line and bottom line. And the market rewarded the stock. That's how it works. You see, investors, they buy stock, so they hope the stock goes up so they can make a gain. Well, how do you, how do you produce a gain? Well, see, profits, I know Mr. Reich doesn't get this, profits are the mother's milk of stocks. And so they come out with a report that says, look, guys, we blew it out this quarter. And investors jump in and start buying the stock. And Mr. Zuckerberg, a major stockholder, he benefited from that. Now, when it was tanking a couple of years ago, he also took a huge hit on that. But Reich never points that out. That's the one. Th- that's one thing. Now, about it being rigged, see, this is where guys like Reich don't understand basic business. When you've got lines of business that aren't performing, and you're losing money on them. What the left wants you to do is you just got to keep paying those people. Just at charity, you're just altruistic because you're compassionate and you care. You got to keep losing money and just making that payroll and, and absorbing all the other expenses associated with operating a business line that's losing money. That's what they want. And so he's mad because he goes out and trims his workforce to align it more with the needs of the company. That's what good executives do. It ain't fun. It's, it's not something they, they relish, that they look forward to, but there's a number of other companies as well doing the same thing. I saw where uh, uh, my old technology partner, Cisco System, I don't think I've ever seen them let people go. They just announced, I think they're letting go 4,000 people. It's same deal. They're facing headwinds, and so that's being guided by their customers saying, we're going to pull back on our IT infrastructure spending, which I was a little surprised. I've never seen that. And what CEO Chuck Robbins of Cisco said in his uh, interview about 
them having to let go of some folks. He said, what our customers are telling us is that they spent all this money. I've seen this cycle in, in my history of business, of buying all this infrastructure. Now we're busy implementing it. We're just going to pause right now. That happens. It's just natural business cycles. But these goofballs like Robert Wright, they don't get that. They absolutely think you just wake up every day and money just falls out of the sky, out of helicopters. And it, it, so it bothers me. It's always bashing the private sector. Billionaire rigged. How's that billionaire rigged? I mean, I don't know how many people Facebook has working for them, but it's a bunch. You know how many millionaires they got that ain't even 30 years old? Just because they work for a company that's highly successful. And they were in on it on the ground floor. That's the way it works. That's good. That's not bad. That's a good thing. Yeah. So when a guy makes adjustments to his cost model to drive profit in the future and to, again, align it more with market conditions and demand, that's what good managers do. Oh, my gosh. They just don't get it. So, okay, I'm on a rant on that, and I apologize. But it it just bothers me that these people and, – and what really always bothers me, Will, is when I look at the comments – from the trained SEALs that lap all this up. Meta absolutely has the resources to hire more people to fight hate speech and misinformation on Facebook and Instagram because somebody mispronounced somebody. That's their idea of hate speech. you got to have an army of people to protect me against being misgendered. That's what they think. They really do. It's, it's just crazy. They're just choosing to spend that money developing VR headsets instead of protecting people from bigotry and fascism. And I look at it, it's got 517 likes. That comment from some random nothing, that just shows you. So, again, this is my message to my friends on the right. I'm with them. When you think about the upcoming elections, just remember, these people vote. So I know there's a tendency to think that everybody feels the way we do about this kind of stuff and understands the lunacy of such a comment by Reich and all these other fools on this thread. All these people are spread across the country, and that is how they feel, and they vote. And they see former President Donald Trump is the devil when it comes to this kind of stuff. It's him who promotes hate speech and fascism. We can't elect this guy. And Joe Biden and all the Democrats that are out there, they're they're um, hitching on to that narrative as well. And people buy it. They do. And they vote based on that. They don't see this as just, no, that's just basic free speech. You see, the greatest thing about free speech in this country is that you have the right to spew bigotry. I don't like it. I don't condone it. I think it's terrible. But you have that right. You want to go out there and and uh, speak hatefully of people? You don't think the left does it? Hell, every day. So um, it's a double standard like there is uh, uh, everywhere. But when I, that's what really instructs me is when I go through here and read these comments. Forget about Reich. By the way, that gets 14,000 likes, his comment. Forget about that. Go out and just look at the comments. And this is how the richest 1% act after getting a huge tax break. Trump's signature move to building a better economy. Okay, I'm going to enlighten this nut a little bit. Brand new data. I looked at it last night. Brand new from the Internal Revenue Service. They got some data about taxes. I would, uh, I think most people would agree. Brand new data. So you've heard me say many times that the richest 1% 
And by the way, to be in the 1% in this country, your earnings have to be at 680000 and up. That uh, You've heard me say they pay 42%, 42% of all taxes. 1%, 42%. That's now 46%. This fool doesn't know what he's talking about. And not only do they pay the lion's share, it's going up under Trump's tax cuts. Math is not something they're good at. <laughs> And I'm not making this up. This is from the Internal Revenue Service. And that's now getting attention from all the various media sources that write about taxes and taxation. And that's where I first saw it. So I got curious. I started digging into IRS data. It's all out there on the website. If you want, if you care to be bored to tears reading tax information like that. Now it's 46%. I'm telling you, in two years, it'll be 50%. The top 1% pay more than the bottom 90%. That's what's not sustainable. We're powering the country off the top 1%. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Finding great middays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Back in the Element Well studio. So on the ceasefire text line, something I got to get to before we get out of here today. And if not, we'll continue it tomorrow. But it's a long text, and, and uh, this person said, "I just heard that Mississippi had the advantage of 45 states having the lottery before." Suggested that Mississippi learn from the other states' mistakes. What has really happened in Mississippi is once again saying that we use the profits for county and state roads. I recall when casinos came in the state, promised the same. I'm no contractual expert, but neither have bettered highways or county roads. How about taking a lesson from Florida, take the profits from lottery, and give it to the education system of uh, number 50 in the USA, make Mississippi only lottery card, and all money goes to education scholarships like Florida. My three daughters all receive bright futures, blah, blah, blah. So I'm not going to go through that. But, um, yes, a lot wrong in that uh, statement. Uh, The first thing is that um, we would not have a lottery in the state of Mississippi had uh, Governor Phil Bryant not seen that as an opportunity to uh, uh, get some additional revenue to state roads and bridges through the state highway fund. If it were 100% for education, wouldn't pass. It's just simple as that. Simple as that. With respect to roads and bridges, you know, Will, and I know our audience does, there's no appetite in this state to increase fuel taxes. The mere mention of increasing fuel taxes causes people to become enraged. The governor knew he couldn't get that through the legislature, but he knew we got to do something about getting more funds to roads and bridges. Now, that's a $1.2 billion budget, by the way. Okay? And most of that money uh, comes from the Fed. It's really three buckets. It comes from the Fed. Um, it uh, comes from fuel taxes, which is what we pay at the pump, and there's some other revenues as well. But that's what, what funds roads and bridges in the state of Mississippi. By the way, county and municipal roads, that's different. Those are covered by the county. 
That's what you pay ad valorem taxes for. That's what you pay sales taxes for to get diverted back to the cities. That's not the state highway fund. That's where there's a lot of confusion. So anytime you're looking at roads and bridges and you're not happy about them, if they're county roads and bridges or city roads and bridges, it's got nothing to do with the state or this money. So the first $80 million of net proceeds produced by the Mississippi Lottery Corporation, in accordance with law, goes to the state highway fund. Been down 49 lately? Where do you think that money came from? You going to tell me that wasn't an improvement? And there's countless others. Now, it's $80 million a year. It's a $1.2 billion budget. It ain't a whole lot of money. Nobody ever said we're going to have gold-plated roads if we pass the lottery. What we said is we're going to be able to raise some additional money voluntarily without raising taxes. That has occurred. Nobody ever promised, oh, if we just bring these casinos in, we'll have gold-plated schools. They'll all be A-plus rated. Nobody ever said that. It's not but $270 million a year. That's what, what the gaming tax is, by the way, and $80 million of that or so gets diverted to the local areas. That was part of the agreement because they've got uh, more uh, demand, more consumption, more services to provide because their populations grew, and they got these casinos that have lots of needs just to get people in and out in in law enforcement so forth. So that was the deal. It's so you're talking about 170, 180 million dollars it goes to the general fund. It's, it does not go directly to education, unlike the lottery where the first 80 million goes directly to the state highway fund. It never passes through the legislature. It's not appropriated, it's not allocated. The legislators never touch it. It's it's done by law. The lottery corporation transfers it to the treasurer. The treasurer transfers it via warrants to the state highway fund. That's the way it works. Totally different. Now, consider this. The cost of public education, in accordance with our general fund budget, that is $2.3 billion a year. So it's $170 million or so that comes from the uh, casino gaming tax. It's a fraction of it. So you, if you want it to improve and you think money is the answer, well, then you need more money. <laughs> and with respect to roads and bridges, $80 million, that ain't squat. But it's more than zero. And that's the deal. I saw, I attended a presentation yesterday from uh, Executive Director of MDOT, Brad White, and Central District Commissioner uh, Willie Simmons. And, and of course, they just laid it out. They say, look, we've got capacity. There's two programs that DOT operates, the capacity program. That's just basically building roads and bridges for the future. Now, we're talking about state roads and federal, which which uh, is, is jointly funded by the federal government. But you've got to match uh, a certain part of that, and you've got to also prove to the federal government before they just send you money. You've got a way to get that money to maintain those roads from a recurring revenue perspective in the future. It's a challenge. I mean, it's a financial economic challenge. And then you've got the maintenance program. That's just redoing stuff all the time. Talking about state roads and bridges. So if you go to the MDOT's uh, website, you'll see a list of all the uses of lottery funds towards that. So that's just completely false. Completely false. Uh, we're not last in the nation on education. I would I would uh, encourage you to go take a look at where we are now and to suggest that we need more money to improve the quality of education. I think it's misguided. Misguided. I tell you what the problem in education is in the state of Mississippi. It's the dissolution of the nuclear family. We got the most fatherless homes and the most out of wedlock births, the most births to teenagers in the country. That's where you got to start addressing the education problem. We're out of here today. Back with you tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.
Super Talk Mississippi media production.